0: What if there was one magic skill that could change how you relate to any kind of person? Guess what? There is. It's called communication. You're listening to Happy and Holy, a podcast about discipleship and community and how we meet each other right where we are to be the people of God on planet Earth. And when we do, we have the potential to become the happy and holy disciples we are meant to be. I'm your host, Kate Boyd, and today I am joined by Dr. Heather Day. Dr. Heather Thompson Day is an interdenominational speaker and contributor for Religion News Service, Newsweek, and the Barna Group. She is also an associate professor of communication at Colorado Christian University, and she is passionate about supporting women and runs an online community called I'm That Wife. She currently resides in Denver, Colorado with her husband, Pastor Seth Day, and their three children, London, Hudson, and Sawyer. And today on the podcast, in our conversation, she is breaking down what it takes to be a good communicator in every situation and giving us a few cues that we can take from Jesus to be memorable and make an impact with our words. Let's listen. Thank you, Dr. Day, for joining us. I'm very excited to um, talk to you today. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here. So you're uh work like mine is communication. Um I'm curious what made you passionate about that? How did you get into that as a career path?
1: So when I was a sophomore in university, I took a general level communication class and it changed my life. It was an interpersonal communication class. And I just remember realizing that if we could master the art of communication, of human interaction, which so much of the rest of life is really opened up to us by our communication. I just realized this is a game changer, right? So in communication, we say communication people are the relationship builders between the organizations and the target markets that those organizations are trying to reach. I've always been super passionate about church and ministry. And so when I realized I can study how to better connect the church to people, if i learned the art of communication i mean i was i exploded my head exploded and i i just i realized that this can change people's lives there's a practical element to it that literally can change anybody you don't need money and you don't need resources but if you can better learn how to own your own communication it can change the opportunities that open up for you
0: totally um i mean i know that that's something i talk about a lot i'm like if we could just learn how to communicate better with each other like we would I don't know, we would, I, I don't know that everything would be fixed, but we'd at least be having conversations that could fix things instead of, you know, whatever's happening. <laughs> now. <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> well, there's
1: a direct link between the quality of your communication and the quality of your life. Yeah. We exactly know that the, the single biggest contributor to our happiness, outranking how much money we make, outranking our jobs, outranking our houses is our relationships with other people our communication is literally the vehicle by which we have relationship with other people. Yeah. So for me, it's like when I realized that I could help college students better engage in their own relationships and therefore transform the quality of their life, I signed on.
0: Yeah, totally. hundred percent in. Um, and one of the things I love Um about Jesus too, is like, I loved looking at the way he communicated, um, and, and the way that he, you know, told stories and talked to people and got on their level. Um, I'm curious, what are some of the ways that you would say that Jesus modeled good communication, whether in relationships or even to like groups of people? I think,
1: Something that you'll see Jesus do a lot, which I think is a something a lot of us get wrong Today is we think that we have to have Really clear-cut answers like if somebody asks you a question I have to answer it directly or else I'm shying away from the topic and yet we see Jesus quite often not answer anybody's question Right because he knew the difference between a genuine question and a trap so Mm -hmm. in Luke 2 one through two, we see they say to Jesus, um, "By whose authority do you do these things?" And Jesus says, "Great question." And I'll answer it if you answer me a question. John the Baptist was he authorized by God or from men? And they knew. If we answer him and we say it's from God, then they're going to say, well, then why didn't you follow him? And if we say it's from men, then we've just delegitimized him. And all these people loved John the Baptist. And so they respond to him and say, we don't know by whose authority he operated. And Jesus says, then neither will I tell you by whose authority I operate. Jesus knew he's the son of God. He could have given a clear cut, direct answer right then. And I think this is what our culture, we say if you don't answer directly exactly what your beliefs are all the time, no matter who's asking, you're weak. And I would push back against that. I think you can be incredibly smart and a strategic thinker, which is what we see Jesus often do. He often would answer, a, he would often ask a question rather than make a statement. And as somebody who has been studying communication for the last 13 years, we know questions hijack the brain. Literally, if I, ask, if I say right now to everybody listening, what color is your house? What color is your house? Just by making that question, everybody, I immediately control the brains of people who are listening and they start answering the question. That's what happens when we hear questions. You are more likely to vote simply because somebody said to you, are you going to vote? You are like 20% more likely to buy a car simply because somebody said to you, are you going to buy a car? Questions change the way we view ourselves and all of reality around us. And it's something that we see Jesus do a lot. He asks a lot of questions. And I think the church has gotten really good at giving a lot of answers Mm. and not as good at asking the right questions. And so I think we can follow the model of Jesus and his communication by just start having conversations, which is what podcasts do, right? Like we don't have to give all the answers. We're just going to ask some really good questions. And I think that that's a powerful way to communicate.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think too, one thing I have found is not necessarily, obviously I don't have the omniscience of Jesus, so I can't be like, well, I can tell that their motivation is this because I can't always do that, especially with social media, right? You just sort of, there's a lot of assumptions you can make. But what I've started doing is asking those questions instead of like making the assumptions so I can kind of get to, because even behind my assumptions or behind what they're saying, there's usually something else, right? That they really want to know, you know? And even sort of, so I almost like, coach people in our conversation through the questions that I ask so I can get to the heart of the matter. And then we can actually have the real conversation that they want, you know? Right. It's a great tactic to use. Yeah. So what role do you think then that communication plays in our churches and in our discipleship? Oh man,
1: I think it should be the most important role. I, I say all the time, I don't think necessarily that we have, well, I probably shouldn't say that anymore. Um, <laughs> I used to say we don't have a theology problem. We have a communication problem. I don't think, it's like 80 something percent of Americans believe in a higher power, right? So there's not actually this huge war on religion like we would say, or like many of us believe. There's not necessarily this persecution of religion. There is a conversation about various ideas, right? Or ideals or values and where the church should be headed. And so I think that in order to be able to Move forward. We have to be willing to have the hard conversations, and I think the church should be leading in those hard conversations. You know, most Americans—I I wish I had the exact stats for you—and I usually do, and my brain is blinking. Um, but I know it's greater than seventy percent of Americans say we have a racial problem in this country. And so, and what I hear from young people all the time—I'm a college professor—is. And actually, this is backed up. Barna did a study, too, where they ask young people, why don't you go to church? And they say, because it's not relevant to my real life. I'm trying to navigate where I stand and how I fit and how what my parents taught me versus where I'm deciding right now, what does this all look like in the culture that I'm living in and what I'm seeing on the news? And then if I go to church and we're never talking about any of these real life things and searching scripture to say, hey, is there a legitimate response to justice in scripture. What does that look like in the Bible? What does Jesus have to say? If we're not searching our Bibles to be relevant to the conversations that are happening, I think that that's a communication failure.
0: Yeah. Why do you think we hesitate as a church to have those kinds of conversations?
1: Because I think we don't all agree. Mm. Right? So because you don't know, I just know for my husband, he's a pastor and he got up Um, after George Floyd was killed and did his entire sermon on what does it mean to truly be a brother or sister to the black community that is in deep grief right now, right? And actually nothing that he said was very radical. It was really all based on scripture. Like the importance of just loving your neighbor was not radical ideas, but as soon as, I mean, as soon as he started, We saw two people just, we were in parking lot church because it's COVID, but two people pulled up their lawn chairs out of the parking lot, threw them in the back of the car, and they were taking off, right? So I think we don't have the conversations because we don't have enough leadership that is willing to take the heat from having the hard conversations.
0: Yeah. And I also, yeah, I also almost wish that we had some kind of forum in the church to actually watch people have conversations from those sides, right? Because we don't agree, like modeling that kind of conversation so that we can see it and even hear from people and, and then also have modeled for us what good conflict is in those instances.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. Having conversations, um, respecting one another, even if I totally vehemently disagree with you, can we be respectful in the process of engaging in a conversation? And I, and the reality is, I think, I hope some of us do that in our own personal lives, right? Like we have a family member that we disagree with, and but we love them. It's my dad. It's my uncle. It's my sister. I love this person. And I know who they are as a person outside of this one particular belief. So how do we stay in relationship and conversation despite the fact that we may disagree? I think that that is something that all of us should aspire to, not withholding love and affection because somebody disagrees with me.
0: Yeah. And that can be, it can be hard depending on what it is. You know, I know that we, I mean, we deal with some of that here. A lot of our family members Um, are not on the same page with us on some things. And so it can be hard to sort of hold that balance and figure out even what the boundary is for ourselves too in that kind of thing.
1: I'm I'm kind of like an eternal optimist though. And I just feel like most people are reasonable. People constantly tell me that that's not true and people aren't, but I, I know tons of people with very different beliefs than me and when we have conversation, they are reasonable, right? And then I, re- and it's been really helpful for me because then I realized, oh, we see this differently because you are only engaging in one new source. You are only ever hearing one side of the conversation. And that's where the chasm is actually coming. It's not necessarily that you and I have totally different values. It's that we have totally different sources of information.
0: yeah. Yeah, I would like to believe that they're all reasonable. <laughs> not all, but I think most. <laughs> no, I know, I, I do think most. Um, certainly not all. Um, so in in all of that, I mean, I think, you know, we, we've we been sort of talking around it, but I, what are some of the common roadblocks that you kind of see that we hit up against in interpersonal communication besides just disagreeing? Um, you know, what are some of the, common things that sort of keep us from being able to communicate either openly or, um, even clearly?
1: I think there's a lot of things. It would be hard to boil it to one. Um, an example that first comes to my mind is called bypassing. And this is where we miss each other in message meaning. So, What I think you mean and what you actually mean are two different things. But because you haven't said it in the way that I would say it, I'm hearing something different. Okay. That, let me try to simplify that with an example. Um, something that I love to do is go out to eat. I love to go out to eat. And so my husband has like really bad ADD and he actually does not like to sit down in restaurants very much at all. He likes to be able to eat and then keep moving. So if I was to say, hey, let's get something to eat, he may say no, because he's thinking that I'm saying, I want to go sit down at the Olive Garden and enjoy three, ba- three baskets of bread and then a salad and then have an entree. And what I'm actually was thinking was, hey, like, let's run through Panera Bread, right? So yeah. he may say no, because he hasn't checked to see what I mean when I say, let's get something to eat. Oftentimes, we have, in, we have total arguments with people and we mean the same thing
0: for sure. Um, I know we that, never happens. yeah, I mean, that happens to me with my husband a lot too. I'm like, okay, so you said that, and this is the way that my brain processed it. So you can clarify, or you can say that that's what it is, but I need like, this is why I'm upset about this or whatever, yeah. you know, like, because what I heard was not, was maybe not what you said. Um,
1: but that, and that is actually a really important communication skill. Yeah. And it's something that the average person never does. Most people will never say, here's what I heard. Tell me if this is what you've said. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it will change your business meetings when you start doing that. It will change the arguments that you're having with your family when you start saying that. I'm hearing it this way. It is crazy how once somebody says something that goes through our own brains, filters of past experiences, right? It changes what that person may actually have meant. And if you never check each other's perceptions, you never know. I was on a flight um, to go speak in Las Vegas, and the guy sitting next to me um, was a business owner. I think he owned some factories, some RV factories. And he said, Oh, so what do you do? And I said, Oh, I'm a professor of communication. He said, Oh, you're going to love this. He said, I always tell all my employees, You are not responsible for what you said, you're responsible for what the customer heard. And so I tell them, if you don't verify what they heard, Before you hang up that call, it's going to be on you.
0: And I was just like,
1: wow, like I love that. And I tell it to my students all the time. We aren't necessarily responsible for what we say, we're responsible for what other people hear. And the problem with communication most people will say, it's not my problem. I said it once, I said it twice. If you didn't get it, that's on you, that's not on me. Well, communication says, no, it's on you. A good communicator says, it is my job to make sure that what I'm saying is clearly and effectively understood. So I'm going to take on that responsibility and I'm going to do that by saying, what did you hear me say?
0: Mm, that's good. Um, so I was just talking earlier to uh, Sharon Hottie Miller and we were talking about, you know, the way we communicate and niceness and stuff like that. Oh, and how we sort of like run things through those filters and how sometimes we, like I know, because I am a communicator. That's my work. Um, you know, sometimes I put too much burden on myself to communicate clearly to where I, I feel like if I can shape everything, if I just have the magic words that get there. Um, so there's definitely like, I, I, so I'm, I've pulled back from that and I still try to be clear and concise and ask more questions to figure things out, but you can also take too much ownership sometimes of those things too.
1: I don't know. I I feel like for me, I have to take, I can only have ownership of my part in this relationship. That's the only thing I can control 100% is me. Yeah. Right. So I feel like the, I, I cannot control your response. Right. And I have, I have learned to alleviate myself of that. Now I used to feel very much a burden to control how other people responded to whatever information I felt like I had so eloquently delivered. Right. So if you're not, you're not believing me, I have to convince you. I, I, I remember, um, Oh man, I was doing a seminar somewhere. And, um, one of my best friends actually was speaking there as well. Um, and she's a therapist and a student said something like, My mom does not believe in like women empowerment. How do I convince her of the importance of feminism and all these things? And my friend, Mindy, who is my favorite therapist, she said, but why are you, why, where is this responsibility on you coming from to convince anybody of anything? That's not your responsibility. You convince yourself and you live things out for yourself, but you do not have the responsibility of convincing other people to agree with you. And I think that there's a difference between crafting a really good message that we hope is going to be persuasive and taking on the ownership of, I have to convict and convince everybody that I am right. We don't have to do that. Yeah. But we do have to take ownership of our own messages.
0: For sure. And I think that's where we were with that because it's very much, yeah, you think if you can do it just right, it'll be perfect and it'll be wonderful. Right. And it can be wonderful and all those things, but you can only control so much. So your responsibility is in those things. So um, we, on the podcast, we also talk, I mean, I talk a lot about, you know, building community and, you know, discipleship in community. And sometimes, um, you know, there are roadblocks to that because of either feeling um, that you can't communicate with people Or that it's not safe to communicate with certain people. So I'm curious how you would say like in a group setting, um, what are some of the ways that we can create dynamics for safety for clear and open communication?
1: I, I, I think a lot of times we misunderstand that. I think we think that communication is all about who can deliver the best message, who mm-hmm. is the best orator? We think of, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. or um, TDJ, Stephen Furtick, these great power pack speakers, right, that can fill an auditorium and everybody's hanging out every word. Great communicators are not necessarily the people that are the great speakers. And I, I think this is a, a huge misconception because I'll have – because then we only have extroverts. That's right. often what ends up happening, and I'll have yeah. students that – I'll notice them in my class. I'm like, hey, you should really think about doing this as a major. And they're like, oh, me, no. Like, I'm an introvert. I could never do public speaking. I'm like, public speaking is one class of a communication program. That's one skill. The core skill of communication is listening. And so how do we create safe environments? We listen. Just every conversation we enter, we listen first. And that is truly what makes a good communicator is somebody who has decided I'm going to listen first before I respond and listen with the intent of listening, not yeah. listening to, the intent to respond.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think you can't, I think it's really hard to communicate well with anyone if you don't actually listen very well. What are some ways that people can learn to be better listeners or what are some of the ways that they, Yeah. To be a better listener? What are some of those skills that go into that?
1: Yeah, asking, que- like we talked about earlier, asking clarifying questions. A big one, I think, is suspending judgment. Mm. So when somebody, you, and just know everybody has bias your brain actually operates with bias. It's how it functions or else we'd be trying to process all these pieces of information at the exact same time. It's not possible. So what your brain does is it starts cataloging information based on past experiences and those past experiences become a bias, right? In whatever new experience that I'm going through. So you have to actually say to your brain, I treat my brain like it's like this other outside person. And I'll talk to my brain a lot. Like just last night, as I was tucking my daughter into bed, she's been having some issues at her school with bullying. And so I want her to say things out loud because I need her brain to hear it. Mm-hmm. Right. So as she just started a new school and she had a pretty solid first day, I'm not going to say it. it was like amazing, but nothing bad happened, which is a win. We'll take it. She wasn't bullied by anybody. We'll take it. So she's in bed and I'm like, Hey, before you go to sleep, I want you to say three times, I am brave. Because even if today wasn't like the best day in the world and you didn't make a a best friend immediately, London, you you are so brave. You showed up and you went to a new school as a third grader. She could have went online and she chose to show up in person. Like that's brave. That was a brave choice that you made. And I want you to say that to yourself, right? So talking out loud and saying things to ourselves is really important for us to just acknowledge where we're at. And so even with bias saying out loud to yourself, okay, I am probably going to have bias in this conversation because X, Y, and Z. This person reminds me of my ex-boyfriend or my ex-pastor or whatever it is that our brain immediately creates these snap judgments. Suspend your bias, Heather, and enter this conversation and just listen. Uh, Those are like really basic things that we can do that I promise you will make a huge difference because we very rarely ever do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, we just, we sort of like think that we'll do those things, but I like actually like taking a moment and like clarifying for that, for yourself as you step into a conversation so that it sort of reorients how you think about it. And it's amazing, man. I'm
1: just saying like humanity is so beautiful Mm -hmm. and people become so beautiful when we suspend our own judgment. I because I am, I am with so many different students every single semester, I get to meet about like 200 new people every semester. I just, It's really changed me in these last 10 years because I'm like, wow. Even people that, again, like I said, I vehemently disagree with. If we don't talk about that, if we don't talk about these whatever hot button issues that my social media algorithm is telling me that I care about right now, and I just like hear your experiences and meet who you are as a person, It's amazing the connection that we can create. And then how do we enter those tougher conversations, but with the backdrop of this connection that I now have with you? And that only happens when I can suspend my judgment and listen and hear who you are and just asking really simple questions like, and why do you think that? Yeah. Where does that come from for you? How did you learn that? What process are you going through mentally to get there? And when we do it in a loving and compassionate way, I won't speak for everybody, but for myself, I have found like people receive that. I get to have work with students who totally disagree with me on a variety of issues and yet love and respect me as their teacher. Because it's amazing what we can do when we see people beyond just this one talking point. And this is, in communication, we call it cognitive complexity. It's realizing That people are so much more than one issue. There's all these complexities that make up who somebody is and all these background experiences. And the truth is, if I was born in your home to your parents and lived your life, I may have a very different understanding of the exact same issue that I have than you right now. Right. Because all these things factor, how we shape, how we see ourselves and how we see other people. And again, the access to information that we have, all these things change how we see everything.
0: For sure. I mean, that sort of, um, connection and empathy make all the difference when you're actually like engaging any kind of conversation, but especially the hard ones. Cause a lot of times we try to do those from the outside and we actually need that to be, uh, Part of the context that we bring to the conversation.
1: Yeah, there's this book, it's called The Lucifer Effect. Um, it's by Philip Zimbardo, who's the creator of the Stanford Prison Experiment. And essentially, what he says in a, in a very long book, but essentially what it boils down to is that the difference between you and the worst person you know, or the worst person you can think of, is a difference of degrees. Mm. And, and I think that that's helpful too, right? Because a lot of times I will look at where I am right now on various understandings or cultural issues or conversations, and I'll forget where I was 10 years ago. And I will enter a conversation and say, oh my goodness, can you believe that that person said that? What an idiot. How can they think that way? And I'll forget the Heather of 10 years ago who thought just like that.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Right. So So realizing, uh, oh, I can't, where is this? Uh, mm, I, don't, I can't remember the exact verse, but we shouldn't, don't ever esteem. We have to esteem every brother higher than ourselves, right? Like treating every single person as if they have their own unique anointing and calling and um, position with God. And there is something to be gained from this relationship. I can learn something from you is important.
0: Yeah. So what are some practical communication advice, right? Tips that we can take into, um, any kind of relationships, whether that's like a discipleship relationship within our community, or even just, you know, the ones that we have with our friends or our families as we go about our day.
1: Yeah, I think, well, it it depends on what outcome that you're trying to get. Here's Mm -hmm. just like, just a really easy tip that you could do with a stranger, say their name. There is no sweeter sound to the human brain than your own name. There have been studies that show on MRI scans that even people who are in a coma will experience a brain reaction response when you say their name. Even people in a veget- vegetative state, when they hear their name, their brain reacts and lights up. So imagine what happens, let's just take it to churches, when people walk in and we, we say their name. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really quick way. That's why Starbucks does it right? That's why Chick-fil-A does it. That's why they're so successful. I, oh, you! I heard my own name and I feel like now I belong and have a place here. So as much as you can, when you're talking to people, even just in the hallway, say their name. It's a really easy way to, make, to create connection with other people in a way that they are going to feel special from that encounter. Because it's actually rare that we say people's names to another. Another one, and you had mentioned it earlier, When you're talking about Jesus and the way that he communicated is, and this is my, I did my PhD dissertation on storytelling. I'm obsessed with storytelling and the research on it. Stories are a really beautiful way to create human connection and relationship. Um, They actually, when we hear each other tell stories, we have a physiological response. We release the hormone oxytocin and it's the love hormone. And it's the same hormone you would get if you were to kiss or cuddle somebody. We release oxytocin when we listen to one another share stories. So if you're, I tell my students, if you're in a job interview and somebody says, um, what type of a worker would you say you are? Don't give them a word, give them a story. And that story is going to change how their brain receives and responds to you in that conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah makes so much difference and I think even through the stories that we have it sort of goes back to we also learn about each other through the stories that we tell whether they're of about ourselves or about other things like we you get a better sense of someone because they're I don't know because of all the layers in them right it's not just here are the facts it's here's facts and emotions and you're getting all this wrapped up
1: Yeah, we remember stories. Stanford found we remember stories twenty-two times better than facts alone. So again, if if I'm gonna if I'm an interviewer and I'm going in for a job and I'm gonna meet with fifteen different candidates, you're gonna want to do anything that's gonna help that person remember you. So saying their name is one. Telling a story is number two.
0: Yeah. Well, I think these are this is all good advice and lots of um, good context for people as they're thinking about the ways that they can better connect with people. Cause I think that's sort of in a way, that's kind of what we're struggling with right now is like, we're, we just sort of see all these things and we're, we need to find those ways to bridge and connect. And so these are some good tips for people to do that. Um, so thank you. And, um, as we wrap up, um, because the season is about Jesus, I would love to know what is your favorite thing about Jesus?
1: Oh man, there's. I have so many different things. Um, it depends on what what stage or I guess I'm in in life. But yeah the the two that I guess I'm working through right now and being grateful for right now is how Jesus treats us as individuals. So I think it's something that we don't do well as human beings. Like I said, we tend to group people. Oh, you believe this? Group, right? Broad brush label to put all these different people together. Um, 80 million people vote for Biden. Now you're this way. 80 million people, 71 million people vote for Trump. Now this is who you are. 71 million people are all the same person not suddenly because of one decision, right? So Jesus treats us as individuals. And I think we, it is unbelievable the gift that that is, that the creator of the universe would treat me as an individual based on my personality and my genes and my past choices and my mistakes and my experiences. And all of that comes into account and how he's going to handle this particular situation that I'm going through. Um, something that I've noticed is just how much grace God has given me in my life. It's going to make me cry to even talk about him. Um, and the grace that I often won't give myself or won't give to other people. Yeah. And when you look back, that's why I said, it's so good to look back and remember who you are and where you've been. And just like the things that God could have shouted at me at 22, he's whispering to me now at 34. Right. Because of, because he took into account everything about who I was and where I've been and was like, she's not ready for that yet. Yeah. And what we do, I think, often as Christians is we say, well, it's the truth. We, the, the truth is love. I'm going to tell you the truth, whether you like it or not. And yet God did not always tell me the truth about myself. And I am so grateful for that. Um, for the, and, and so the other word I was going to say was patience. I have really come to respect and admire the patient hands with which Christ has dealt with me with. And I, I hope that I can become a person that gives that to other people.
0: Mm, I love that. I love hearing everyone's different answers. Everyone's had a different one so far. And it's really fun to hear, um, to your point, the individualism with which God approaches each of us. So it's really special. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing um, your heart with us. Thanks for having me, Kate. Such great advice from Heather, right? Especially now as we're all you know, navigating tricky relationships and division in our community settings at this time in our history. So if you want to keep up with Heather and you should, because she's a delight everywhere she is online, you can find her on her website at um, heatherthompsonday.com. She's also on Twitter and TikTok at Heather T Day and on Facebook and Instagram at Heather Thompson Day. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, I would love it if you would rate and review on your favorite podcast player to help more people see Jesus anew and talk about discipleship and community with us. And if you're looking to build your own discipleship community, the Couches and Cathedrals newsletter is for you. Not only will you hear the latest updates about the podcast, but you'll also get weekly nuggets about building community wherever you find yourself in location or in life. You can sign up today at kateboyd.co slash newsletter.